we get in the car, we're driving, which is about an hour and a half to his house. He lives out in the woods. So he bought a motorcycle and he goes, I bought a motorcycle. And I was all excited about it. I was like, yes, this is gonna be great. And I'm in third grade. So I'm just like picturing like, like Evil Knievel's motorcycle or something, you know, like this crazy dirt bike, like racing, like jumping, like for an hour and a half all the way out to my dad's house is just these pictures in my mind of the most incredible motorcycle thing you've ever seen in your entire life, right? Just this huge dirt bike, big fat tires, like all the things that you picture when you think of cool, fast, like motocross type dirt biking things. And what happened when we got there was that it was not any of those things. It was a motorcycle, yes, but it looked like a moped. There it is. <laughs> well done, boys. Give them a hand right now. It was not what I had pictured as a third grader in my mind all the way there. It was like, oh, and my dad was so excited. He's like, I bought a motorcycle. And I was like, yeah. I guess that's a motorcycle. It has a motor. And, and uh, so I was a little bummed, but I rode it and actually it ended up being way more fun to ride than it looks like, right? But anyway, I had one of those. Dang, I haven't seen one in a long time. So anyway, uh, I got to school the next morning, not the next morning, but that Monday morning after the weekend. And they did this thing at my school where they asked everybody, hey, how was your weekend? Share something about your weekend, do this thing. And I knew that was coming. So in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna say motorcycle and all of my classmates and my teacher are gonna picture what I pictured. They're gonna think cool, like amazing motorcycle when in reality I was riding this. And so it was like, I was doing this thing in third grade. I was like, I'm not technically lying to them, right? Like, I know what I meant when I say we got a motorcycle and I got to ride it. And if they're picturing something different in their minds, that's not my fault. That's their fault, right? They're going to think I'm the coolest kid in the whole world because I was riding a motorcycle all weekend. And none of them are going to picture in their minds this thing, right? And my dad's not here this morning, so he won't feel bad for buying a weird looking motorcycle. But exactly what happened. My teacher asked, how was your week? Weekend, I say, my dad got us a motorcycle. I spent all weekend riding it. Everybody in my class was like, whoa! And this guy named Chris, who was like kind of this awkward, like quiet kid uh, in my class, my third grade class, he comes up to me at the break and he's like, you got a motorcycle? I got a motorcycle. And I was new to the motorcycle game, but I quickly found out that if you have a motorcycle, you have to know all the numbers and names and titles associated with your motorcycle. So he rattles off some numbers, Kawasaki KZRTY193, you have to know the engine size, it's a thing if you're a motorcycle guy, didn't know that. So I told him what my motorcycle was, a Honda Trail 110, and I was really hoping he didn't know what that looked like, and he didn't. So he's like, cool man, like we were like friends, and I knew in my mind when I told Chris that we were motorcycle buddies, that he was picturing some cool motorcycle like I'm sure he had, and I was riding around this moped looking thing. So this happened for like weeks, maybe months. Chris would come to me every Monday morning and he'd, we'd exchange motorcycle stories. And he'd be like, we were going here and I was doing this and this was incredible. And, like, and the whole time I was like, if Chris ever finds out what my motorcycle looks like, he's going to be so disappointed in me. And then it happened. He came to me one Monday morning. He was distraught. I could tell he was already like a quiet, kind of awkward guy, except when we were talking about motorcycles. And he's like, hey, man. We had friends come over 
and everybody in their family had a motorcycle and the mom had a Honda Trail 110. <laughs> and I could see the disappointment in his eyes. And he said, is your motorcycle a step through? Which means like the engine doesn't look like a dirt bike. It's like that, that, that lame thing, that, the moped looking thing, that's a step through. And I was like, yeah. And me and Chris were literally never friends after that day. Like you could see the disappointment in his eyes. Like the whole time he had been picturing me on this incredible dirt bike, like jumping things and like doing all the things. And I had been riding this moped with knobby tires for the whole time, right? And I think God is kind of like that. Now, I don't think that God is intentionally deceitful, but I do think that God knows when you think God in your mind, it's something drastically different than what he actually is. Like we all say God and we have this idea, it's over here. And God's like, oh, I'm actually like this. It's actually much different than you think about in your mind. And that's what's gonna happen this morning. Actually, this happened in our story last week. If you remember, Moses was called by God in the burning bush to help deliver people out of slavery in Egypt, right? So Moses goes to the people of Israel to tell them God is gonna deliver them. And at the end of chapter four that we read, Moses goes to the people of Israel, he says, God hears your cry, God sees your suffering. And they all worship, they bow down and they worship. And Moses was a little worried about that, that they weren't gonna listen to him. So this is an incredible moment where everybody's on the same page, we're like, praise God, he's gonna deliver, he's gonna do the thing he said he was gonna do. And they were all excited and they're worshiping God. And then we get into chapter five, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh goes, God didn't talk to you. In fact, God doesn't exist. In fact, you're a liar. In fact, you have been keeping the people from working hard, and they have been believing your lies because they're idle. They got nothing to do with their time. So maybe you guys should actually work a little harder. Maybe we should actually turn the ratchet up a little bit on how much we expect you guys to do so you never do this again. So the people of Israel, of course, as we read last week, are furious at Moses. Like you said God was gonna deliver us, and this is harder than it was last week before you got here. This is worse. We're not delivered at all. And so now we have Pharaoh who's mad at Moses, so Pharaoh takes it on the Israelites, which makes the Israelites mad at Moses, which makes Moses mad at God. And so we ended chapter five with this prayer Moses speaking to God said, God, why did you send me? What you've done here is evil and you haven't delivered your people at all. And that's where he left it last week. And what is happening in Moses's heart in that moment is God is way different than Moses thought he was. That's what's happening. Moses thinks God is this thing over here. He pictures this incredibly cool dirt bike, him jumping through the woods like an amazing dirt bike racer. And what happened is God is something different altogether. And Moses is like, I don't, I'm not in for this. I signed up for the God who's going to deliver his people. Mighty right hand, outstretched arm, like all the stuff that God, the miracle God, where's that God? Like, that's the God I signed up to work with. Like, I didn't sign up to follow the God who let Pharaoh increase the workload and made everybody hate me. Like, the God who wants everybody to be mad at me? I'm not signing up for that God. And Moses is experiencing a God who is vastly different than the God he thought existed. He says, you've not delivered your people at all. Translation, this is what Moses is saying. You have not delivered the people in a way I deem acceptable, God. 
You have not delivered the people in a, a timetable that I understand, God. You have not delivered your people in a way in which I would define as successful, God. You're not anything like the God I thought you would be and should be. And that's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. God now is responding to Moses' accusation that he has not delivered the people at all. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For the strong hand he will send them out. With the strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So Moses says, God, I don't think you're doing a good job. And God says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And then you're like, okay, what are you going to do, God? What is the thing you're going to do to show us? And God says in verse two, I am Yahweh. Okay. Now I'll remind you, as I said, when we studied through Exodus chapter three, the name of God in your Bible is represented by the phrase, the Lord, and L-O-R-D is capital. So look at your Bible right now, see how it's capitalized, L-O-R-D. That is not just the name, that's not the word, the Hebrew word for Lord is Adonai, that's not what that is, that's the name of God. A couple chapters ago, when Moses said, who do I say sent me? God says, I am that I am, and he says, Yahweh is my name. Now, Yahweh is a guess, because the Old Testament didn't have the vowels in it, so we have yod which is transliterated Y-H-V-H, and so our best guess is it's something like Yahweh. So Moses says, I don't think you're doing a good job, God. And God says, I am Yahweh. Now, if you want, you could say, well, that's a weird answer, right? It's like, Megan, you're not doing a good job cooking. And she's like, I am Megan. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, good to know. Can we get some salt in there, right? Like. You can move on if you want, but I don't recommend you reading your Bible like that. Like, that's not how it should go. So you can think it's weird all you want, but what we do know is that God has a name, and he's reminding Moses that he has a name, and he's making a big deal about having a name and tying it to the idea of knowledge of him. Do you see that? So whatever God is saying in this passage, he's like, I want you to know my name. He repeats it a couple of times in these verses. And then he says, the way Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew me and the way you know me is all tied to my name, Yahweh. Now, the language and the word order gets a little tricky here, as sometimes happens when you go from Hebrew to English. But I think God is saying this. My name is Yahweh. And even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew me, Yahweh as God Almighty, the name Yahweh is going to mean something to you, Moses, that it never meant to them because of the way I'm going to handle this situation and the way you're going to know me on the other side of this. That's my interpretation of what God is saying here to Moses. It's almost like saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew I was a good God, but you're going to know the name Yahweh in a completely incredible way, Moses, when we get to the end of this thing. So let's start with what we know. God has a name, it's Yahweh, and it's important to him that you know he has a name. You get that? God's not just like, 
yeah, like, you can call me Tej or whatever, like, you know, he actually has a name, and it's very important to you that he, you know he has a name, and it's very important to him that you know he cares more about his name than his title. Because you might be thinking, I call him God, isn't that good enough? It doesn't seem like he thinks just calling him God is what he's after. Now, here's the deal. God is a title. The Bible tells us that there are many gods. Yes, Yahweh is a God that is different and above all the other gods. In fact, so much farther above all the other gods that they shouldn't even be considered in the same category. It's almost like saying like your third grade kid that plays quarterback and Tom Brady are both a quarterback, but they're not really both a quarterback. Like Tom Brady's like, there's, there's a long distance between those. And the distance between Yahweh God and the other gods is even further than that. So he, you could say if you want, he's the only true God, but that's not what he says about himself because God is still a title and there are others in the world that have the title of God. So here's the problem with titles. They're impersonal and subjective. Like when I say the word boss, we all think of a different thing. For some of you, boss is a very positive term. For others of you, boss is a very negative term. Even if I said, like, everything a boss should be, right? That's going to be different for all of us. We all have different ideas about what a boss should be and how they should act. Names, on the other hand, are much different. I read a study called God Has a Name uh, by John Mark Homer this week. I would highly recommend it. Lots of this stuff is going to come from that book. So if you want to write that down, God has a name by John Mark Comer. Uh, the study points out that names are one word summaries of like an entire life. It's like a, a summary of your character that you've built, right? For example, if I was saying, I was watching WSU play USC last weekend and it was like David versus Goliath. David and Goliath are names. But they're summaries of so much more, the character and the knowledge of the situation. When I say David versus Goliath, it's like a one-word summary of like all of this information in just the name David and just the name Goliath. Another way to say it would be that your name carries the weight of your character for those who know you, right? This could be really good if you have good character or really bad if you have bad character. We all have that friend or family member that is ridiculously unreliable, right? You end up saying stuff, well, you know Ralph. He said he would be here, but that's Ralph. What happened? Ralph's awful character and never following through on what he says he was going to do has been interpreted as a one-word summary of like, yeah, this is exactly how Ralph is. He said he was going to be here. He's not here again. So for people who know Ralph, they roll their eyes and they just use his name Ralph as a summary for that guy has a character that never follows through on what he says he's going to do. You see how a name can summarize something for you? It, another way to say it, it was in the book, is, a name is a summary of the truest thing about you. So here's where all this is heading. God having a name and wanting you to know he has a name is a reminder that you are being called to worship and follow the Yahweh who is and not the God you have made up in your head. Okay, I believe that God wants you to know he has a name. Not necessarily, we'll talk about this at the end, but so we all going around like using the name Yahweh or some people use G hyphen D because they don't want to say, like I, I don't think God's actually as concerned about the actual words that come out of your mouth and the idea attached to 
The name Yahweh means he's not the God you have in your mind. He's the God who actually is. He is the Yahweh who exists, the character that is represented by his name, not the thing you think of when you say God, because that usually is misinterpreted. And you might think as I say that, like, I don't have a God made up in my head, Jared. That's not very nice of you to say. I hope that's true, but it's usually not. See, we have this incredible capacity as humans to make God in our image. Like, we are made in God's image, but then we, like, make up a God who we think should exist. He should be like this. He should care about these things. He should do these types of things. And, again, this is from the study, but the way you can tell you made up a God in your own image, if he agrees with you on everything, go through it in your mind. God supports the same political candidate I voted for. God has the same view of sexuality and gender as I do. God thinks the same thing about abortion as I do. God favors the same governmental structure as I do. God thinks the same things about COVID and masks that I do. Okay, now you're too far, Jared, right? God has the same views on public school and homeschool as I do. God thinks the same things about drinking alcohol and R-rated movies, and God is frustrated and annoyed with the same things about my church that I am. If you keep it, oh, wow. Yeah, that's the test. If God agrees with you on everything, on and on and on and on it goes. Most people walk through life with a picture of God in their minds who agrees with them on every single thing. And I'm here to tell you that's a false God. That's not Yahweh. That's not Yahweh. So when God answers Moses' frustration with, I am Yahweh, it's a reminder that God is not made in our image. He is not the God we expect him to be. He is not the God we have in our minds. He is Yahweh. And as we will find out, he is both not who we thought we wanted him to be, and at the same time, much better than the God we thought we wanted. This is why it's a big deal to God, because calling God by his name is a reminder to us of the Yahweh who actually exists, rather than the God you have in your mind. We should expect, as we actually get to know Yahweh, that he will be different and better than we thought him to be. When God reveals himself to people in the Bible, have you noticed this about them? None of them are like, yep, just what I thought. <laughs> Nobody. They're like, whoa, way different than I expected. Over and over and over again, right? Nobody, nobody gets God revealed to them and they're like, yep, saw it the whole time, knew it. They're all like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, way different, way, I had much different picture in my mind, I didn't know what I thought you were, Yahweh is clearly, every single time when a revelation of God comes to somebody, they are blown away, it's so much different than they expected what they thought he was. I think sometimes we try to make God a formula in our churches, right? Like if we check these boxes and fill in these blanks, and don't do these other things, you know, God plus church plus Bible reading minus sexual sin equal blessing of life, right? And we're trying to work out the formula that God is so that we can have a better, more comfortable life for ourselves. And God's like, I'm Yahweh. I have a name. I'm not a formula. Right? He's a lot more friend than he is formula. He's a lot more personality than he is mathematical equation. So, 
Here's the aspect of his friendship that he really, really, really cares about you knowing, okay? It's especially important to him that you understand this. And this is where we get to this weird part in chapter 6 about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they know him. Let's go back a ways, okay? We're actually going to start our way back in the Bible and work our way into this. The Bible opens, God creates heavens and the earth, including all of mankind, it should not be a surprise to you. None of you are like, what? Yeah, it's in there. And this actually, uh, there's lots of religions that claim that God created the heavens and the earth and mankind and everything like that. Not new, okay? So if you were like some weird pagan or Buddhist or Muslim or anything, you'd all be on the same page. Yep, this is what happened. God was the original source. We all came from him. Not weird so far, okay? Then we go through your Bible, mankind sins, messes everything up, and God promises in Genesis chapter 3, so we're only three chapters in, to send a Savior to fix the mess. So right at the beginning of your Bible, God's like, I'm going to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and clean up the mess you made. Okay, now that's a little different. Okay, all these people worship some sort of a God, but this Yahweh God promises to fix the mess mankind created? That's weird. Like, most of the world worships God who are angry at them and demand sacrifices and atonement and penance to escape their wrath. Like, you need to offer me some crops, or you need to offer me a son, or you need to work harder and do a dance or something like that to get me to not be mad at you. That's actually not the story read of Yahweh. Yahweh offers his grace to fix the mess mankind made at the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Now, there are some of other gods who promise to fix what's wrong with the world, but that is pretty unique. Then we go a little further in the Bible, and God chooses, Yahweh chooses a man named Abram, changes the name to Abraham, probably you've heard of it, and promises to bless him and make a nation out of him and be a blessing to all the world through him. Now this is something way different, okay? Think about how different is this is than the default view of God. Most people think God is angry and upset and all overall just kind of disappointed. And most religions paint a picture of a God who demands sacrifices that need to be appeased, right? To appease that God so he's not angry. At the very least, every other religion on the planet has a long list of rules that you need to carefully follow in order to escape a God who is constantly looking for reasons to be upset with you. We all agree with that? That's every other religion in the world. Here's a list of rules. You better do them or he's going to be mad. Yahweh is not that God. Yahweh extends blessing to Abram and then doesn't ask Abram for a sacrifice at all, but instead makes a promise to Abram. Okay? This is crazy different than the other nations would be like, yeah, right, that's not how gods work. That's not a real God. No, this, is, this, this Yahweh character, like that's not how gods are offering blessing and promises to Abram who hasn't done a thing for him. Then we go a little further in your Bible in Genesis 15. God makes a covenant with Abram. Okay? A covenant. And then it says Abram believed God and it was counted as him to righteousness. So Abram hasn't done anything. He hasn't followed a list of rules. He hasn't followed the law. He hasn't done one single thing. We're in, Abraham, or we're in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham doesn't go to the top of the mountain with Isaac till Genesis chapter 18. So it's before any of that stuff. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And when Abraham believes it, he's counted him as righteous. And then, apparently back in the days, I'm not real up on the 
land of Ur covenant making deal, but they would get animals, they would cut them in half, and they would walk through the middle of the animals as a sign that they were going to fulfill the covenant. So God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, hey, man, we're going to do this covenant. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring, you're going to have a son. You're going to, your son is going to turn into a nation that outnumbers the stars and the sand. And then he says this interesting thing. He says, and your family, that nation of people is going to end up in a powerful land in slavery for 400 years. And then I'm going to bring them out of that powerful land and out of that slavery and into a promised land. Sound good? And Abraham's like, yeah, sounds great. And then instead of walking through the covenant, like the cut up pieces of animal together with God, God puts Abraham to sleep. So Abraham's like sleeping. He probably has his eyes open. And God like goes through the two animal pieces by himself. It's almost like God's like, I don't, I don't need you to fill anything out of this covenant, Abraham. You just believe it. You just believe it. Now people are really mind blown. Like, go back to the people who worship other gods. They're like, wait, what? He promised blessing to you? He promised to fix the mess you made? He made a covenant to be kind and gracious and loving towards you? And then he put you to sleep and walked through the covenant-making process by himself? What are you talking about? This Yahweh is crazy. This is not the normal God that we're talking about. He's not even close. This is something way different. It's so kind. Of, I'm going to tell you over and over and over in this message today, the Yahweh that exists is so crazy different than any other God that exists on the planet. Yahweh was not angry. He didn't demand appeasement. He didn't demand sacrifices. He wasn't like, you're going to get cursed. You better avoid the curses. He offered kindness promised blessing, made a covenant to the people to make them a nation, to bring them out of slavery, to bring them into the promised land, think that God would make a covenant of kindness to people instead of demanding their allegiance. That would be completely countercultural at the time. Completely countercultural. And so one of the ways Yahweh sets himself apart and desires to be known is as the covenant-making God. There's no other gods on the planet that are covenant making, like promising kindness and goodness of themselves. They're not, doesn't happen. It's so different. That's why he's like, you could call me God if you want. I get what you're saying, but I'm not like those gods. I'm Yahweh, the covenant making God. And here's why all this matters. It's very important to Yahweh that you know him as a covenant keeping God. That's very important to him, that you understand his covenant-keeping character. We are Christians. Our salvation depends on Yahweh being a covenant-keeping God. Jesus held up the Passover cup on the night before his death, and he said what? This is the cup of the new covenant. If he's not a covenant-keeping God, then it doesn't matter. Right? He has to be a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, or it doesn't matter when Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant. If Yahweh is not a covenant-keeping God, then it doesn't matter for us at all. But if he is a covenant-keeping God, then all of our hope, all of our conviction to live our lives and completely trust in him is well-placed. So let's jump back into verse 6 of chapter 6 in Exodus. This covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, 
He says, say therefore to the people, I am the Lord. That's his name again. I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. And Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and of their harsh slavery. So Yahweh says, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh. I will give you the land. I am Yahweh. Just to recap here, what have the people done to earn this favor from Yahweh? Don't all shout out at once. What have they done so far? in the entire Bible or in the book of Exodus to earn this kindness from Yahweh. Nothing. They have not done a single thing. God has extended his love and kindness and grace towards them, and they have done nothing to earn it. Not one single thing. He's doing it because he is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God above all other gods, not because of anything they've done. That's why he keeps repeating, I'm doing this because I am Yahweh, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And the people hear this from Moses, and the people hear this promise, and they not only don't listen, it says they can't listen. He says they can't believe it because their spirits are broken and their circumstances are too harsh. Like, Yahweh makes this incredible promise to them, and they're like, I wish I could believe that. This is too hard. My life is too difficult right now. Write this down. Yahweh saves people who can't save themselves. This is exactly the character of the God we see Jesus coming to represent. A God who saves people, the Yahweh that saves people who cannot save themselves. This is why this picture is so incredible for us. And what's going to happen here is when he says, I think, Moses, you're going to know me in a way Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know me, he was a covenant-making God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to be a covenant-keeping God to Moses, right? Both are incredible. Both are different than every other God out there, right? Yahweh, the covenant-making God, that's incredible enough, but Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, is the way Moses is going to know him, and that's going to be the gift that goes beyond any other thing that uh, Abraham and Isaac knew of him and Jacob knew of him. So let's finish up. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. Verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel, about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, Moses doesn't know all of that stuff about Yahweh being a covenant-keeping God yet. He will, but he doesn't yet because God hasn't fulfilled the covenant, the promises yet. So Moses is still doubting the goodness of God. He says, if the people don't listen to me, how is Pharaoh going to listen? Right? If my friends, my neighbor, like my clansmen, like my flesh and blood don't listen to me, well, this Pharaoh guy's definitely not going to listen to me. But here's where Moses is missing it. Yahweh told Moses to go tell Pharaoh, let the people go. 
He didn't say, Moses, get the people out. You see the difference? He said, Moses, go tell Pharaoh this, right? So if we are measuring success by our obedience to God's call, then all that is required for Moses to be successful is to go and tell Pharaoh, right, Moses? That's what I called you to do. If Yahweh's job is to deal with Pharaoh's heart and bring the people out, Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God, not you, Moses. Surprise, right? You're not a covenant-keeping God, Moses. You're just Moses. Yahweh is going to bring the people out. So Moses is upset because he doesn't think Pharaoh will let the people go. But God didn't ask Moses to go get the people out. God didn't say, hey, Moses, figure out a way to let the Pharaoh, make Pharaoh let the people go. That's not what I told you to do, Moses. I just told you to go tell Pharaoh, Moses, I will let the people go. I will deal with Pharaoh's heart. I will get the people out because I am Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Yahweh just told Moses to go and what to say. Moses' obedience, therefore, is a success in just doing what God had called him to do, what Yahweh told him to do in the going and the telling, not in the deliverance. And so what happens to Moses, because he's feeling this weight of being Yahweh when he's clearly not, he thinks it's his job to get the people out. He doesn't yet know that Yahweh is a covenant-keeping God. Moses wants to quit after the first setback. You see that? Moses is like, yeah, let's go. Never mind, that was really hard. What? And I, I don't know, I don't know, me and God are not the same person, but I wonder if God was smiling, like I'm Yahweh, Moses. And I know it's not the God you thought you were worshiping and the God you thought you were following, but I'm better than the God you thought you wanted, Moses. It's very hard for Moses in this moment to accept that Yahweh is going to take longer than Moses wants him to. It's very hard for Moses to accept in this moment that Yahweh isn't as concerned about Moses' comfort and Moses thought he should be. You're God. You should care about how comfortable I am. It's, it's very hard for Moses to accept that Yahweh isn't as worried about everybody liking and listening to Moses as Moses thought that God should be. I said it from the very beginning. This is a story of how the people of God become the people of God. Well, it starts by them realizing that God has a name and it's Yahweh. And, and I think God wants you to know he has a name because it's a reminder to us that there is a, a Yahweh who exists out there. And it's not the God we have made up in our minds that thinks about everything like we do. Now, you may be wondering, should I start saying Yahweh instead of God? Maybe. Um, I'm not opposed to it. Actually, I kind of changed my mind on it. I had always thought that like Yahweh was like made up because it kind of is made up. We don't know the vowels. So I was like, ah, let's like if somebody like only had the consonants of my name and they call me Joe Rod, I'd be like, ah, that's kind of annoying to me. My name's Jared. And they're like, yeah, but we didn't know that. So we just called you Joe Rod forever. And I'm like, Ugh. Uh, God's not as petty as I am. So I'm sure he's okay if we call him Yahweh in an effort to remind ourselves that we're worshiping a God who is and not a God who we've made up in our minds. Um, but I also know that that's a pretty quick way to get called a cult if we just run around saying Yahweh all the time. So here's my solution. In the New Testament, we read about this Jesus guy. And not only is Jesus the word made flesh, it says he's Yahweh in the flesh. In Hebrews, it tells us Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature 
of Yahweh. So maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the alternative. Because we know the name of Jesus, and so we can use the name of Jesus just as we would use the name of Yahweh to remind ourselves that it is not a God that we expect. It is not a God who agrees with us on everything. It is a God who has a name because his character actually exists. And so we say the name of Jesus as the God we worship, reminding ourselves, it's not something I've made up. It's not something that's entirely comfortable for me. It's not something that I thought I wanted. But it's something so much better because he actually exists. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, Yahweh, I thank you for your name and the character that that represents, that you are a covenant-keeping God. Lord, that your kindness and grace towards us um, is unearned. It's extended us because you are Yahweh and you are good, not because of anything we've done. Father, I have a feeling that there are uh, people in this room, maybe even listening online, who have a vision of an angry Yahweh in their minds. A Yahweh that needs to be appeased, a Yahweh that is very concerned that you follow every rule and not a loving, kind Yahweh whose baseline towards humanity is grace. The most true thing about Yahweh is that he loves us. And you tell us that in your word, Lord. Maybe some of us need to change uh, what we think about when we think of the word God. Start worshiping the Yahweh who is instead of the God that we think of in our minds, Lord. May that set some people free this morning, Lord. May that remove some burdens of condemnation from people's shoulders this morning. May that give us joy and thankfulness, uh, worshiping the God who loves us, Lord. And may we remember, Lord, you are a covenant-making and covenant-keeping Yahweh. It's an incredible gift. It's worth celebrating. So we celebrate it this morning. Thank you for your character. In the name of Yahweh, we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing this last song.